So in the spirit of Father's Day, I have a, um, a really sweet father-son story to, to share with y'all. This week, um, I took Graham to his very first ever baseball game. I've got a picture to show y'all. Uh, we had a blast. I grew up really loving baseball. Aw, he's super cute. I grew up loving baseball, and so this was a really special day for us. Um, and I've told people that we both had a ton of fun. Graham had a ton of fun, 2% because of this hot dog that he got to eat. He loves hot dogs. 8% because I got him a big old box of M&Ms, which he also loves. And 90% because of Rocky the Redbird. Graham, before we even got there, he was so excited to see Rocky the Redbird. In fact, he got to meet Rocky the Redbird. And as you'll see from the picture, it's a little bit dark. I tried my best to brighten it up. He was terrified. <laughs> He's leaning into me. Um, but from afar, he was super, super excited about seeing the Rock Rocky the Redbird. It's just when he got a little bit too close. And so when we were at the game together, um, Graham over and over and over and over said to me, where's the bird? 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 Literally, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, literally for over an hour, just over and over. Where's the bird? Where's the bird? Where's the bird? There were these two guys um, who looked like they were in their young 20s who were sitting right in front of us. And I'm just thinking the whole time, I'm so sorry, y'all. They're just gripping their seats in frustration. <laughs> And in a good moment, like Monday, when I'm like, Graham, I am, I'm fully here with you. Like, there's nothing else vying for my attention right now. Like, this is our time, buddy. In a moment like that, I'm able to be really patient with him. And I'm able to be like, you know what? It's getting a little bit annoying. And I've told you over 100 times where the bird is, his home, his nest underneath the stadium. <laughs> um. Like I was able to be patient with him. My patience was pretty high on that day. But my patience is not always that big and that full. And so at one time, you were probably the same. Like you probably asked your parents, hey, where's the bird? Where's the bird? Where's the bird? Or um, on a long road trip, how much longer? How much longer? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? That was you. But then something happened you became aware of the reality that parents only have so much patience to give, right? Parents are limited human beings and we only have so much that we can give. I can only hear where's the bird 600 times and then I'm done. So as a small kid, you realized that. You learned that and you learned to rein it in. And now you're left like with all of these needs and all of these wants and all of these feelings that like you don't always know how to express. You don't always know what to do with. You're afraid of annoying people. Like if I really give myself, if I really express what I need, I'm gonna be just like an annoying little kid. I think that is all of our story. And if you're able to see that about yourself and in your own story, Jesus has some really comforting words for us this morning. But because he's Jesus, he also has some challenge to give us as well. So I'm, I'm very excited. Um, this, this parable has grown to be very meaningful to me as I've, as I've studied it and meditated on it. So I'm excited to dig in together. 
So in the parable, we're just gonna kind of track verse by verse and see what Jesus is saying and then see what he's saying to us this morning. In the parable, we see a couple of, a couple of characters. The first character we meet is a judge, and he's not a just judge, he's an unjust judge. He's not an honorable man, he's a dishonorable man. In fact, Jesus mentions two things about this judge to describe him. One, he neither feared God, and two, he did not care about other people. Jesus mentions these two characteristics intentionally and thoughtfully. Jesus is a, is a thoughtful person. And uh, he does so intentionally because in the first century world, especially the Hellenistic world, these were the two ideals for a righteous and upright and just judge. Someone who fears God, so they live underneath of authority. They have a sense of authority in their life and they care about people. So they have a sense of accountability in their life as well. So Jesus presents a man who has neither of those characteristics about himself. Jesus intentionally presents like this sort of extreme persona that in the first century world would have like grabbed his listeners' attention. It would have shocked them like, wow, we can't even imagine such a corrupt and wicked and unjust person. It's an extreme persona. And then in verse three, we meet the second character in the story, a widow. And as you probably know, uh, especially if you've been with us for the past year or so, as we've um, really journeyed with Jesus and looked at stories of Jesus, um, we've encountered often the, the reality that in the first century world, women had very few rights in and of themselves. All of their rights, all of their protection, all of their economic provision, all of it was tied to having a husband or having a son or even having like a next of kin who's a male. In and of themselves, women had, had very few rights. And so in this story, we see that there's a widow who doesn't have a husband who can plead her case on her behalf. She obviously also has no son because if she had a son, he would be pleading her case on her behalf. And she doesn't even have what the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures calls a kinsman redeemer, a next of kin, a near a male relative who could plead her case. It's, it's just her. This woman is almost the most... Um, unimaginable, vulnerable position in this society. Again, just like the judge, except in a different way, she's sort of this extreme persona, like unimaginably vulnerable. Jesus is presenting this character that would have grabbed his listeners' attention, that would have shocked them. And what we see in verse three is that this judge is this woman's last shred of hope. We see her going to the judge and pleading her case, grant me justice, and the word that Jesus uses, kept coming, means that she's just coming back and coming back and coming back and asking and asking and asking and asking, give me justice against my adversary. We don't know exactly what's going on. Like, we don't know the story. Jesus doesn't tell us that. Um, maybe it was like justice against a specific adversary, like for a specific thing. Maybe it was just justice against a system that is holding me under, that's oppressing me. But whatever the case, she keeps going to this unjust judge and this man, this wicked and corrupt and unjust person in a position of power is her last shred of hope. And then in verse five, we see the judge's response. We see that for some time he resisted her and he didn't give her what she was asking for. He didn't give her what she needed. He didn't give her what she wanted, but she kept coming back and she kept coming back. And she wore him down. And then look at what happens in verse four and five. Finally, the judge said to himself, even though I don't fear God, even though I don't care what people think, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. When we read that, pa- when we read that verse earlier, I heard some of you chuckle. Um, it's a little bit strange and comical, right? I'm gonna give her what she needs so that she eventually won't come and attack me. Other translations say, so, so that she won't continue beating me down, so that I won't grow weary and beat down. Translators don't really know what to do with this word and how to translate it in context of the story that Jesus is telling. The Greek word here is, um, it's actually a boxing term. And what it means literally is to strike below the eye in such a way that causes bruising. So what Jesus is saying, and it, it actually is comical because you gotta remember it's this, this vulnerable woman and then this corrupt and unjust man who's in a position of power. And literally the image Jesus presents is her just kind of clocking him under the eye and he having like a bruised black and blue eye, right? Like it's this, this comical, um, comical word that Jesus uses. And then in verses six and seven, Jesus clearly lays out the point of this parable that he tells. And the point is this, like, look at this unjust judge. Look at him. If such a corrupt person, if such a person of low character and low integrity would give this widow what she needs, what she wants, what she keeps asking for, how much more so will your heavenly father who is not unjust, but is himself the definition of justice, who is not unrighteous, but is perfectly righteous, of the utmost character, the utmost integrity, how much more so will he give to his children the things that they ask for and the things that they need and the things that they keep pleading for before him? Jesus makes this same point in the same sort of way throughout the gospels. Some of these may sound familiar to you, In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching about prayer and he he tells a couple of stories, again, that are a little bit funny and strange and comical. He tells a story about about a neighbor who unexpectedly has some guests arrive late in the night. And the neighbor realizes like, oh boy, I've got all these people here and I don't have anything to feed them. And in a first century world, that's very hospitable. Hospitality is a very high value. Like you gotta feed people who are stopping by for a visit. And so this person goes to his neighbor's house at midnight and is just banging on the door, like, help me, help me. I need some bread. I need some bread. Banging on the door. Keep on banging at midnight. And here's what Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 8. I tell you, even though this neighbor will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Listen, it's not because you're friends with the guy. It's not because you're neighbors, but it's just because you won't give up. Because of your shameless audacity, he'll eventually get up and give you what you need. And then Jesus says, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if your son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion Graham comes to me, dad, dad, can I have a piece of fish? Yeah, here's a snake, have fun. Like what dad would do that? And then Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the point is really clear. Like if I know how to give my boy good gifts and this unjust judge eventually gives this widow what she needs, like how much more so will God give us? people he loves, what we need when we come to him and ask. 
So there's a really sweet invitation for you this morning. Really simple and really sweet. And it's that God is inviting you into this sort of relationship with him where you can be yourself, where you can come before him and genuinely express what's going on in your life. Genuinely let him know what you're feeling. Genuinely ask him for the things that you need over and over and over and over. And God will not grow tired or weary. God is inviting you into that sort of relationship with him as your heavenly father, as your good, good father. There's this story in the Old Testament where we get sort of a real life picture of what this looks like. Again, it's this really strange story in scripture. It's in Genesis 18. And it's the story of Abraham. Uh, when God gives Abraham insight into this, um, the future destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you've read the book of Genesis, if you've started like a year in the Bible and you get to about this point, and this is when you start to fall off, like you've, you've interacted with this story and you've probably found it strange. You probably found it weird because Abraham says to God, he says, God, aren't you just, like, aren't you just, he's reminding God of who God is. And he says, what if there are righteous people there along with the wicked? Like, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And God says, no, no, I won't do that. And so Abraham says, God, what if there are 50 righteous people that you find in that city? God says, for 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. And Abraham's like, okay, okay. What about if there, if there are 45? What if you found 45 righteous people? And again, if there are 45 people there, I won't destroy it. And Abraham keeps going and going and going. It's kind of like Graham at the Redbirds game. Where's the bird? Where's the bird? Where's the bird? And as you're reading this, you're like, are you serious, Abraham? Are you serious? What if there are 40 people? If there are 40 people there, what if there are 30 people? 30 people, what if there are 20? What if there are 10? It's like, are you serious, Abraham? You're like haggling with God. Do you see what you're doing? Like that story has always struck me. It's just so strange and so weird. But this week, I've realized like, maybe it's weird that it's weird. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe this story should be more normal for us, like a story of a child of God, this man of faith, interacting with God, just like a needy little kid, just asking for what he wants, just letting God know what's on his heart. Like, isn't it a bit sad that that's so weird and strange and foreign to us? Graham, this week at the Redbirds game, like he had shameless audacity with me, right? like what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. He had shameless audacity with me. He wasn't, he wasn't worried like, oh man, I need to rein it in here because I might annoy my dad. That's, that was the furthest thing from his mind. What was on his mind and heart is like, man, I want that bird. I don't want to be close to it. There needs to be a little bit of safe distance, but I want to see that bird dancing around the field, riding around on a four-wheeler. That is what I want. He's just asking me over and over and over, expressing what he wants. Shameless audacity. Abraham, God, what about this? What about this? What about this? How about this? Haggling with God, shameless audacity. But we lose that shameless audacity. We lose what it's like to be a little kid. And we miss out on this deep, intimate, close relationship with our Heavenly Father that whether you recognize it or not, like you're really longing for deep down in your heart. Like today's Father's Day, and many of you 
You were blessed with really good dads. And many of you, maybe this is a hard day. Maybe you like want to be a dad, but like you're not able to. Maybe like you had a really hard relationship with your dad. Maybe you've lost your dad. Wherever you are, like there's this ache that we have. There's this knowledge like that we know, like we're made to have a good dad. And maybe this is the invitation for you that you need to learn what it's like to be a kid again, interacting with your heavenly father who is a good, good father. I don't think it's an accident that right after this story in Luke chapter 18, there's the story of Jesus welcoming little children into his presence. And then Jesus says this, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You hear that invitation this morning? God's inviting you to come and be in relationship with him like a little kid. There are a couple of, um, of postures of prayer that I think this widow demonstrates, but also the way a little kid operates. And we see it in that, I mean, a little kid as well. A couple of postures of prayer that if we're gonna learn to interact with God this way, we, we have to learn these two postures of prayer. And there's an enemy of each of these postures that robs us of knowing God in this rich, relational, intimate way. So let me, let me show you these two postures of prayer. First, consider the widow. Again, like we saw a few minutes ago, she's in the most vulnerable position imaginable in her first century society. She has no influence, no legal protection, nothing to fall back on, no 401k, no savings plan, no insurance, no family, nobody to care for her, nobody to help her. This unjust judge is literally all she's got. She's in the most vulnerable position imaginable. This widow is desperately needy. She's desperately needy. Like she just keeps coming back to the judge and expressing what she needs. She's needy in a way that, like if I could be so bold to say, I don't know that any of us can perfectly relate to. Like all of the odds are stacked against her. And even if you've like experienced that in life, like, man, it just feels like all of the odds are stacked against me. Even if you've experienced that, like, I don't know that many or any of us have experienced it to the extent of this widow in the story of Jesus in Luke 18. And so for us, that's called privilege. It's called privilege. And privilege is the greatest enemy of neediness. This widow had nothing to fall back on, but many of us, we have resources to fall back on. This widow had to place her trust and hope even in this unjust judge. But many of us have other things that we can place our trust and hope in. We don't know what it's like to be desperately needy because our privilege blinds us to our need. In fact, again, I don't think it's any accident. Like, just remember that 
the writers who are putting together the New Testament, they're putting it together in an intentional way. And so it's no accident that just a few stories later, we see the story of the rich young ruler. Do you remember the story? This young man who's incredibly wealthy in his day, who goes to God, he goes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And they have a conversation and eventually it's his riches, it's his wealth that gets in the way of him experiencing the kingdom of Jesus. Our privilege can cause us to miss out on what God is doing. Our privilege can cause us to miss out on this deep, relational, intimate, rich um, connection with God as our father because our privilege blinds us to our neediness. So we need to learn what it is to be needy again. We need to, you need to recognize like your privilege, it's not a bad thing. Like it's not a sinful thing, but you just need to be able to recognize it so you can see, so you can admit, so you can talk about like the ways that it may blind you, the ways that it may cause you to miss out on what Jesus is doing. Do you see? We have to learn to be desperately needy if we're going to know God in this deep, intimate way. I'll put a quote in your bulletin from Paul Miller. Paul Miller wrote this book that I've loved and has really ministered to me called A Praying Life. And in the book, he says, we don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. We just need to be poor in spirit. We don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. We just need to be poor in spirit. This widow, maybe she was a really self-disciplined person. Maybe she wasn't. But she was asking continuously of what she needed because she knew what it meant to be poor in spirit. Not only did this widow know her desperate neediness, but she also didn't give up. Like she kept pleading her case. She kept coming back. She kept coming back. We see a picture in this widow and we also see a picture in small children of relentless hope. This widow is relentlessly hopeful, which is the second posture of prayer that I want to mention. Hope, hope. Sometimes this story, this parable is called the parable of the unjust judge. And sometimes it's called the parable of the persistent widow. Her persistence, her determination, her ongoing asking continuously, continuously showed like no matter how big or small it was, she had hope. She had hope that things might maybe just could work out. Maybe there was justice out there for her against her adversary. Whether it was a, like the smallest shred of hope or whether her heart was filled with hope, she displayed some sort of hope. And without hope, we can't enjoy this sort of intimate relational uh, connection with the Father. But our culture, it's oftentimes not marked by hope, but it's marked instead by cynicism. And cynicism is the greatest enemy of hope. Paul Miller says, the opposite of a childlike spirit is a cynical spirit. The opposite of a childlike spirit is a cynical spirit. And I know that many of you 
like you have pretty good reason to be cynical. You have pretty good reason not to trust, to be cynical in conversations about the church, to be cynical in conversations about God. But cynicism is soul crushing. And you'll always miss out on the intimacy with God and with others that you so crave and need as a human being. So my prayer for you, my longing for you, is that you could be reawakened to hope. Whether your heart is like filled back up with hope or whether like it's just a shred of hope that you taste and that you experience this morning, my prayer is that you would be reawakened to hope. Many of you have a lot of reason to be cynical when it comes to God, because maybe as we're looking at this parable, maybe as you're hearing me talk about this parable, you're like, man, Drew, I've been there before. Like I asked and I asked and I asked and I had this deep want in my heart. I had this deep need in my life and I kept on asking and I didn't give up. And I was just met with silence. Like God wasn't there. Like it felt like God didn't hear me. And as we're looking at this parable, I know for some of you, all of that stirred up, like all that sort of PTSD, all that sort of cynicism. And what I would say to you is that maybe the lesson for you from this parable is that God can take that. Like if, if God really is a, a being, a divine being, then being in relationship with him means that like he has a will, right? And he has desires and his desires for you are good and are loving. But if you know what it's like to be in relationship with, with another person, a being, then you know that like things don't always work out on your terms, the exact ways that you want them to work out. And so this isn't some sort of like formula that Jesus is doing, giving us. Like if you do this and then you do this, like it will always work out like this because that's not what it's like to be in relationship with another person. And God is a being, he's a divine being. And if you're in a relationship with him, like there will be times that you experience hurt, that you feel hurt. There will be times that you feel lonely. God, where are you? I keep crying out to you. Are you there? Like all I experience is silence. It's like I'm walking in darkness and I, I don't know how to put like my next, my foot in front of the other. Like, where are you, God? I feel so lonely. I feel so hurt. I feel so afraid. I feel so angry. But doesn't that, like, doesn't that sound like the Psalms? If you've ever read the Psalms. Sometimes reading the Psalms, like it, like it takes us, like it's just, it's just almost shocking if you're able to read it with, with fresh eyes, if you get past like this familiarity that we have with scripture, many of us who grew up in the South. It's almost shocking. It's, it's almost appalling. The honesty that we see the psalmists engaging with God. But God's inviting you into real relationship with him where you will be hurt and you will be lonely You'll be afraid. You'll experience the full range of what it means to be a human in relationship with another person. 
but that's what God is inviting you into. And I think, I think maybe that's the first step in us learning what it means to be kids again. And us learning what it means that we have a good, good father and us being reawakened to hope. Maybe the first step is you learning to engage honestly with God, to have the courage to do so. Because that's the way a little kid operates. Like if a little kid is angry, like he or she, he, you know it, right? If a kid is scared, if my son Graham is scared in the night, like he wakes me up and I go to him to see what's going on. God is inviting you into that sort of relationship with himself. So do you have this cynical heart about you? Do you feel like you've been burned before? Have you felt lonely? The invitation for you is to bring that to God because he can take that. He's big enough for that. He wants you to bring that. Others of you, um, maybe you can't relate to that, but maybe you can't relate to that because like you've, you've hit a wall with God, like you've hit a ceiling. Because the closer you get to someone, like you're gonna have to wade into those territories, right? Like if you're married, you know, like it didn't take you long at all in your marriage before you were like wading into some of those territories. Like, hey, you did that and it really made me feel hurt, right? So maybe if like, as I'm saying this, maybe as if you see the Psalms, you're just like, man, I can't relate to that at all. Maybe it's because like your relationship with God is just really stunted. Maybe you've felt like, man, I'm living at an eight out of 10 with God. Like we're awesome. Like I do my quiet time daily. Everything's awesome. I show up to church. Like I leave inspired. But maybe like you think you've been at an eight, but like all you've experienced is a two. So maybe for you, it's like, man, I don't even know that I want it, but I want more with God. I want more with God. Like I want to experience such deep relationship that I get hurt. And I have the courage to be able to share that with God. Like that just sounds weird to me. That sounds foreign to me. Do you want more with God? You want more with God? Do you want to be reawakened to hope? That's the invitation for us this morning. And I think that God is like, we're in this season as a church of God reawakening hope for us corporately and for individuals in the church. The way that this passage starts, one translation says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not lose heart. They should always pray and not lose heart. We're in a season at Christ City of like getting back our heart as a church, you as individuals. And so this, this morning, if you're like, man, I want to be reawakened to hope. Like, man, I'll walk around just with this shroud of cynicism, just darkness around me. I want to be reawakened to hope. Or if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I want more with God. Like, I think it's a really good time for you to be here. And I'm encouraged to say that I think you're at the right place. So here's what we'll do. Um, we're going to move into a time of communion.
And during communion and after communion, we're going to have people who would love to pray for you, would love to pray with you. And so if, whether it's one of those things or whether it's something else, if you need prayer, if you want prayer, we invite you to come forward. But especially if you're like, man, I want to be reawakened to hope. I want more with God. Then come forward and let us pray with you. There will be leaders kind of in each of these areas, um, in front of these outer aisles, there's some space where we can be together and pray with one another. So I invite you to come up for communion. I invite you to come forward for prayer as we continue to worship our good, good father.